Hello and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us online. For daily encouragement, events, service times, and more, check us out on social media. And now, this week's message. (laughs) Good morning. That was just to give people extra time to come in from the lobby and get ready to worship. So let's try again. Good morning. You guys got it because you slept in later today. So <laughs> my name is Jane, and I just want to share a little bit of, of Scripture with you be- to prepare our hearts to worship for all God's going to do through us worshiping Him and then speaking through His Word and then giving us opportunity to respond and to pray. So this week I was reading in Luke uh, chapter 5. And the very first verse says this, it caught my eye. You know how you read something a lot of times, and then you'll read it one more time after 1,000 and first time, and it says something different? One day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And it caught my eye or ear or heart ear because I was imagining that what about crowding around to hear God's word we today we have cell phones with God's word right you could pull it up right now and pull up a Bible we have Bible probably more than one in your house they're all around this room and yet we walk by them we don't crowd around when you think about crowd you just think of everybody pushed in together eager to hear God's Word. And then in today, I want to just quickly put together today's reading I read when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? If he is the Lord of our lives, we should be eager to crowd in, to linger on every word that he says here or that you read on your phone. What he says to you today through his Holy Spirit and worship, and then eager to share it with someone that desperately needs to hear that God loves him, that Jesus is the Savior. And so as we prepare to worship, let's think about that. Let's think about crowding in to hear his word. Let's think about crowding in to say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior and to give him all that we have. So as we stand, let's pray. Holy God, how spoiled are we? God, we're so spoiled. We could pick up your Bible everywhere. If we don't have a hard copy, God, it's on our phone. And yet, oh, forgive us for not crowding in. Forgive me, forgive us for every time we pass by or we take a quick second to read one verse and think it's too much time out of our 24-hour day. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, I pray right now that you would help us to crowd in, to hear your word, and that we would do that every day after this time to raise our hearts and voices to you, to worship you, to give you thanks because you are the living God, because your Holy Spirit is with us. And Lord God, move through your word as we hear it and we lean in to hear with our heart. So Father, for anyone that's here that's hurting or broken or struggling or asking, maybe struggling with guilt or shame, God, here we are. We are your children. And all God's people said, amen. It may have actually been a sincere question. Nobody's really sure. The idea behind the ancient Greek word for tested doesn't necessarily imply that he was being aggressive or mean or even sarcastic. It honestly could have been a sincere question from a sincere seeker. And in front of that crowd, in front of that audience, in front of that Jesus, that miracle working rabbi who claimed he was from God, no, claimed he was God, This man, Luke tells us, sought to justify himself. He wants to make himself look good. He wants to make himself look right, holy, justified, as Luke tells us. Ever been there? Ever been in a situation 
when you wanted to get yourself off the hook. Maybe um, your wife complains about the way you haven't taken her on a date in a minute. Maybe your employer complains about your performance. Maybe your teacher complains about your homework, right? And all of us have the same move. It's a classic move. Find someone who's not as good as you are. And you're like, well, at least I'm not them, right? Usually, Hitler, right? We normally go, okay, well, you know, I'm not Hitler. <laughs> That's what this guy is doing. The Bible doesn't say it, but maybe he could see those people from where he was sitting. The ones that he was going to get taught about. The ones that he despised. The ones that he hated. Maybe Jesus read his mail when he put his finger on the race of the people he thought he was better than when he said in the story a certain Samaritan. Ooh, cringe, the S word. He despised Samaritans. Jews despised Samaritans. Some rabbis taught that Jews were forbidden. Even if they saw a Gentile lady in labor, they shouldn't help her have that baby, right? They shouldn't help deliver that child because that's one more Gentile in the world. And Samaritans were lower than Gentiles. It's like, how do you get lower than that? They hated Samaritans. The disdain, the hate, the repulsion, just the word conjured up. Samaritan. What an, what an interesting story. So, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be jumping into it today in Luke chapter 10. You can go ahead and pull that out. Turn there. If you don't have a Bible, lift your hand. Someone will race one over to you. We like to get our noses in the book. We put the references on the screen, but no font, right? Because we want to turn to it and see it for ourselves. That's important because I might lie to you. You need to see in here. Take notes, underline, highlight. Yeah, you want to double check everything I say. If you're watching online, we want to say a special greeting to you as well. We know a lot of folks are tuning in this morning because they're traveling or they got the sniffles. And uh, we're so glad that you're still here and that technology has afforded us a way to still be able to do this. You can, um, you can hit the hearts right now, let people know that you're there. I'm saying this so much because my wife is doing that this morning. So hey, Hannah, um, I'll be home in a bit. Uh, you can comment. You can talk to other folks um, in this and, and, and they will respond to you. You can share Bible studies. Uh, or I'm sorry, prayer requests, not Bible studies. This is a Bible study. Um, we're excited about jumping in today. Luke chapter 10. That was buying you time to get there, right? Buying you a little bit of time to get there. We're beginning a new study today on the parables, the stories that Jesus told. If you're new with us, you've chosen a great Sunday to start coming. Like, this is brand new. If this is your first time here, allow me to introduce myself. My name's Tommy. I'll be your host for this morning. Um, we're going to be jumping into a story. About a year ago, I started preaching through the book of Genesis, right? Because it's at the beginning of the Bible, and the beginning is a very good place to start. And so we got to chapter 25, and we're like, we're kind of halfway done. So we paused there, jumped over to the book of Acts. We went all the way through. You guys remember the book of Acts. Um, we walked through that whole thing right in time for Christmas. We finished Acts right before Christmas. And so then we began looking at the idea of the rescuer as found in Scripture, right? The story of God's Redeemer, of His Messiah as told by Scripture. So we followed that during Christmas and we got through it and we got to the end and then we were like, we got to do a new series. We got to do a new study. What are we going to study next? And Megan said, what if we studied the words of Jesus? I thought, that's powerful. That would be really cool. So we began to look at the parables, to talk about the parables, these stories that Jesus would tell. So this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to describe what a parable is because there's a lot of things that it's not. There's a lot of things that it is. And so we're going to unpack that together. And then we're going to look at a very famous parable that you may remember from that time, the lady with the blue hair and the felt board would put the stuff on, you know, listen, listen, look, look, you know, like we're going to look at that parable parable this morning. Luke chapter 10 verses 25 through 37. Luke tells us, on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But seeking to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? 
In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. So Jesus said, go and do likewise. Lord Jesus, as we jump into your word today, illuminate it for us. No doubt we have so many things vying for our attention right now. So many things we've left outside these walls and our, and our goal of getting here, and we made it. We're here. And those things out there, they're going to continue to try to get us to look at them instead of looking at you. And we ask for just the next few minutes that you keep those things at bay. Jesus, what a miracle that a story you told 2,000 years ago has been preserved for us to look at 2,000 years later. We are reading your words. Jesus, use them to change us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, can I make a confession to you guys that's going to get me into a little bit of hot water? <laughs> Super excited to hear. Okay, so before, before I confess this to you, I need, I need you to know we're on the same side, right? I agree. What, what I'm about to tell you has changed. It's not the case anymore. So before you pick up something and throw it, which you may want to do, I need you to know, like, I don't feel this way anymore. All right? Agreed? Okay. All right. When, <laughs> when I first heard the Beatles... I was not impressed. I was like, I don't, what is the big deal? Like, as four dudes, they play instruments. Like, this changed the world? Is like the songs sound alike, you know? And they're all like three minutes long. I just didn't see the, it's like, it sounds like everything I've ever heard, right? I really liked like 90s music and acoustic music. And it sounded like all of that. I'm like, these guys, really? And then I had a friend explain to me one day. And this kind of, this was like the key that unlocked the lock for me, right? He goes, oh, I think that you don't appreciate them because you've heard everything everything else. And I'm like, okay, you know. And he goes, think about it this way though. They were the first ones to do it. Nobody wrote songs like that before them. They did it first and then everybody else copied them and they wrote fantastic songs. It was that much of a game changer that everybody else did it and that's why maybe you don't appreciate it but when it arrived on the scene nobody was writing songs like that right and so everything that's come after it is kind of copying that and I was like oh that makes so much more sense. It helped me understand like that's the context for the Beatles. Like, that's why everybody points back to them as being so magnificent and genius. And I think it has a little bit to do with the parables. These stories that Jesus would tell. If I'm honest with you, I've heard these all of my life. And maybe you have too. And so it it gets to be like where you're like, eh, you know, when Megan first suggested, maybe we do the parables. I'm like, eh, I don't know about the parables. You know, like those are stories that I've heard forever. And then that helped me understand that's kind of the genius of them. I mean, think about it. Jesus told these stories 2,000 years ago. That's a long time. Think about all of the things that have changed in the past 2,000 years. Technology, commerce, economy, politics, celebrity, business. And the beauty of these stories is that we still can read them and understand them. Jesus told stories in such a way that he didn't have to give footnotes, right? There are these little simple stories that help us understand the kingdom of God. And we read them and we're like, oh, this makes so much sense. This was part of his strategy in his earthly ministry. 
Whenever Jesus would roll into a town, whenever the J train would come to a town, he would always start. He had like a three-part method to the show that he put on for that town. The first thing that he did was perform a miracle. Bam! Someone gets healed and the crowds come. And what's the next thing he does? Part two of his message, the kingdom of God has arrived. Evidenced by the fact I just did that miracle. The kingdom of God is here. And then, step three, preach. Teach. Usually through story, through a parable. This thing that was the easy for people to understand, to digest what he was teaching them. And they, they didn't always make sense. People didn't always understand why he told so many stories, especially the disciples. There's one point in Matthew's gospel where they pull him aside and they're like, hey, Jesus, we're never going to start a movement with stories like this. Like, you're going to have to throw in a twist at the end. You know, like they pull him aside in Matthew's gospel and in verse 10 it says, the disciples come to him and ask, why do you, sp why do you speak to people in parables? Why do you teach this way? Why are you doing this? And Jesus replies, and I love this response. It's so important. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it slowly. He goes, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. He goes, okay, you remember that kingdom that I just announced the arrival of? You remember that kingdom that I just evidence the arrival of when I perform the miracle? Yeah, and now I'm telling a story and the, these stories contain the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And it's only for you and it's not for them. Whoever, he goes on, verse 12, has will be given more. You get a little bit of the story, you understand what it means, you're going to get more meaning out. If you walk away from this kind of going, okay, I, I sort of get that, then it begins to grow, right? And, and, and if you don't have, um, it will be taken away from you. This is why I speak to them in parables. And he quotes the prophets here. This was a prophecy that the Messiah would preach this way. Though seeing they do not see. So Jesus is telling the story, and some people just don't get it. Though hearing, they don't hear or understand. In them is fulfilled this prophecy. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart, Jesus says, has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, they've closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and in turn, I would heal them. And then I love what he says next, but blessed are your eyes, Seacoast, because they see. You, you have the keys. You can understand. We can understand this morning. But blessed are your ears, Seacoast, because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people have longed to see what you see, but they didn't get to see it. They've longed to hear what you hear and didn't get to hear it. These stories are so powerful. So, the reasons for these stories. Some people have said over the years, Jesus, uh, he was a great teacher because he used stories and everybody understood it. But what Jesus is saying here is like, there's a lot of people who don't understand it. Like they don't get these stories. So by his standards of that day, there was a lot of people walking away going, that guy's not a great teacher. Like I don't understand anything that he just said, right? The ones of us who do understand it, who cling to it, we go, he is a great teacher. Um, have you ever heard the definition of a parable? Now think back to Sunday school. You got the blue-haired lady with the felt board and, you know, look, look, listen, listen. She would say that a parable, you remember the definition? Remember? These are earthly stories. You guys know it. Come on. Earthly, anybody? Earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Have you ever heard that before? It's an earthly story. So you understand what's going on in the landscape. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. I had heard that all my life, and that's part of it, but it's not all of it. That's part of what a parable is, but it's not all of what a parable is. To say it another way, the goal of a parable is not to tell you how to live. The starting point of a parable is not to tell you how to live. Jesus would use these stories, he says here, to do three things. This is really important. Three things if you're taking notes. The first one is to reveal truth. To reveal truth. The goal of a parable is to reveal truth. But secondly, the goal of a parable to conceal truth. Why? Because he had a lot of opponents. 
A lot of people were following him around, waiting for him to say something that they could use against him and then crucify him for, which they did. But for a few years, until he was ready to die, until that moment came, he would conceal the truth so that they couldn't use his own word. He would tell a story, concealing the truth. And what's interesting is the closer that he got to Calvary, the more he added the Pharisees, right? The more blatant he became, the more obvious he became with the meanings of these stories. But they start off very general and vague, and only people with eyes to see and ears to hear could understand them. The third point is to challenge its listeners. That's me and you. You gotta work a little bit for it, right? It's not so obvious all the time. The meaning of these stories and he always used it always used it always used it as as a demonstration a description of and this is so important the kingdom of God notice that he said that a minute ago when the disciples asked why do you tell these stories he goes to you the mysteries of the kingdom of God have been he would do this three-part thing you perform a miracle he'd go the kingdoms arrived I proved it right that's what happened right here and now here's a story about what life is like in the kingdom which leads me to this the goal of a parable is not telling you how to live the goal of a parable is telling you the kingdoms come that he planted his kingdom right in the middle of this old kingdom. This place that's ruled by sin and darkness and death. God came, Jesus came and planted life here. Righteousness here. Goodness here. So even though we see darkness, even though we see evil, even though we see death, we see good things too. There's a new kingdom sprouting up right in the middle of this one. When Jesus came, he goes, oh kingdoms here. I'm planting a kingdom here. And he mediated that kingdom through his presence, which begs the question, what happens to the kingdom when the king bounces, right? Because he went back up into heaven. Is the kingdom still here? Absolutely it is. Back then when he was here, when he was on the planet in his earthly ministry, he mediated this new kingdom, this new thing that he was doing right in the middle of the old broken one. He mediated that through his presence, but then he left. So now how does he mediate this kingdom? Through the church. That's who we are. We are the vehicle by which God moves. He plants his kingdom here and he lives it out through the church. He spreads it out through the church, which, which is so important to say. And sometimes I think it's so important to point out that the kingdom is the goal, not the church. The church is the vehicle. The church is the vehicle. Notice that the church is not the destination. The kingdom is the destination. This is what Jesus is doing. This is what God's doing. I want to grow the kingdom there. Remember, when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he doesn't say, thy church come, <laughs> right? He says, thy kingdom come. That's the goal, to plant something new and vibrant and life-giving right in the middle of this decaying world. That's the goal. He spends 40 days before his ascension preaching about the kingdom. Did you know Jesus uses the word church twice in the Gospels? You know how many times he uses the word kingdom? 90. Super important to him. And to illustrate the kingdom, he uses story. Why? Because when the kingdom breaks out, things change. People's lives get radically altered, right? Their entire worlds get reordered. What he's doing here, what he's doing with the parables is not telling you how to live. Not, not by itself. He, he's telling you what life is like in the kingdom, which has implications on how you live, but it's a byproduct of knowing what the kingdom is, right? You guys know what a byproduct is? A byproduct. A byproduct is anything you make on your way to making something else, right? It's incidental. It's something that you can't help but not make while you're making something else. It's made in the process of making something else. Some of you guys, some of the guys that lift weights and all that, you take whey protein. Anybody take whey protein? You're like, oh, I know what whey protein is. This is a byproduct, right? Some farmers in Italy and Greece were making cheese and milk, and as they would let the stuff curdle, there'd be this powder left over that they stuck under a microscope, and they're like, there's no fat in this, and it's full of protein. It's 
really good for muscles. So they started selling it. It's not the product. It's the byproduct of making milk and cheese. It's a byproduct. How we live is a byproduct of understanding God's kingdom. Does that make sense? If God has brought his kingdom here, here's how I can participate in what he's already done. That's what these stories are. They're telling us what life is like in this kingdom, and it has an implication then for how we live. And so a guy is seeking to justify himself. I love that. In this story, in Luke chapter 10, Mark, I'm sorry, Luke tells us that on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. We said it might be a sincere question. That word test there does not imply that he was up to anything sinister. He's a student of the law, a teacher of the law. Luke says an expert in the law. And so he asked Jesus, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus asked somewhat rhetorically, which had to have been frustrating. Jesus never answered people's questions with a sentence, right? Every question mark he received, he dished back a question mark. That has to be frustrating. You ever been with someone like that? You're like, will you just answer a question? You know, he says to him, um, what's written in the law? He goes, you're an expert in the law. It's kind of sarcastic a little bit, isn't it? The guy goes, hey, uh, what a, <laughs> he says, um, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, well, you're a lawyer. You know the law. You're an expert in the law. What does the law say? What is written in the law? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty simple. We've all heard that. You have answered correctly, Jesus says. Do this and you will live. But he wanted, that's so important. This is, this is where everything kind of swings. The music shifts here, right? The soundtrack changes. But he wanted to justify himself. He's like, I want to know who my neighbor is. I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but I want to know where the line is so I can get as close as I can to it without going over, right? I don't want to be too generous. I don't want to be too kind. Like, there's got to be someone who's not worthy of my love, right? Who do I not get to love? If you can tell me who I don't get to love, then I can justify myself. And Jesus goes, oh, you need a story. A man was going down to Jerusalem, to, from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Pause for just one second. This is a famous road. They would have known, the first century audience, we have to pretend we're a first century audience. Jesus doesn't stop along the way and kind of go, you guys know this road? Like it's right there, you know, in case there's people listening or reading 2,000 years from now, let's put a footnote here, that road can be found here. No, he assumes they all know. They, he assumes we know. This road was a famous road. Why? Because it was a small road and it was a bit treacherous. It was usual for people to get attacked on this road if they traveled alone. So that, for that reason, they would travel in a caravan. They would go together, right? Because then you have a better chance of, of, of making it out. So Jesus is pointing to a road that they all already understood. This road is famous for its lurking dangers, especially robbers. This guy in the story is obviously very reckless and foolhardy for going alone. He should have never gone alone. People seldom attempted to, to make this journey by themselves, especially if they had valuables. He's going by himself, but he has no one to blame but himself for the plight in which he found himself. This guy, it's his own fault that he got attacked. So if you're listening to that story in the first century, you're like, idiot. You know, right? I mean, you kind of go, nah, that's a man, that's a fool. That's his own, he's left to his own devices. It serves him right, right? That's what happens when you travel that road by yourself. And Jesus goes on. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, religious people, passed by on the other side. Now, this is a thin road, small road. When I read this as a kid, I was picturing like 17 bypass or 31 or 501, right? This is like a little path, right, that people would get attacked on. So when it says that there's a body laying in front of them and they passed by on the other side, I used to think it meant like, ooh, you know, like this. And in more uh, truth to the word here, it literally means probably stepped over. Religious people stepping over somebody. A person God has dropped in their path and they both go, oh, can't touch that. This is crazy, right? That they would pass by 
on the other side. And if you're the disciples, now remember, the, the Pharisees are listening. They're trying to catch Jesus to say something right, you know, and they kind of want to give it to the Pharisees, you know. So if I were telling the story, I would also include a Pharisee here. I'd be like, then a Pharisee got there. And you know what I mean? Or, you know, you would do something really offensive to at the Pharisees. And if you're a disciple, you're either going, oh boy, either get the Pharisees or you're bracing going, please don't say Pharisee. Please don't say Pharisee. Please don't say Pharisee. And Jesus goes, hold my grape juice. He says, He says a different word. He says, then a Samaritan. And a shiver went down their spines. They were repulsed in their core. They hated Samaritans. It's quite um, complicated. But the Jews and the Samaritans had a fierce, long-standing hatred that goes all the way back to the patriarch. There are all these different things when the kingdom divided and different people went to different places and the Samaritans were viewed by the Jews as being those Jews that intermarried and they were sort of like these mixed Jews and they thought that was gross. And so they really looked down on them. Jesus takes the scoundrel in the story. This is worse than if you had the Pharisee doing it. He takes the scoundrel in the story and makes him a hero. That is totally subversive, totally backwards. And what's so interesting about this is that first century audience would have understand, understood entirely why the priest and why the Levite stepped over the body. A priest and a Levite traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem would only be going from Jericho to Jerusalem for one purpose, and that's to go to the temple. And in order to go to the temple, you had to have what's called ritual purity. You can't come in contact with blood. You got to go through this whole rigmarole. If you have come in contact with blood, then you're in time out for like this extended period of time. And they're going to atone for the sins of the people. They're going to talk, to mediate to God on the people's behalf. And now there's this body laying in the road. And if they touch it, they can't do that. And so they have to make a decision right then. Of course, they're supposed to help a person. That's commanded all throughout the Old Testament. But it's also commanded that you have to say ritual pure. What do you do when obedience to one command causes you to break another? This is the dilemma that the priest and the Levite are in. The rabbis had a phrase for this. They would call it heavier and lighter. Which one's heavier and which one's lighter? On the one hand, you have a command that says help the guy. And on the other one, you have a command that says stay pure. So you have to weigh them out. Which one weighs more? And that's the one you obey. And they decided ritual purity was so much heavier. And so that's what they went with. So they literally stepped over so they could remain pure and go to the temple. The first century audience would have understood this immediately. And Jesus, uh, remember, is telling you this, a story to describe life in the kingdom, the new kingdom, the one that he is establishing, the one that he announces the arrival of, the one that he performs miracles to show the arrival of, the one that he tells stories to describe the arrival of life in the new kingdom. See, back then you needed a priest, you needed a Levite to go talk to God on your behalf. There's no way you could ever talk to him. But in the new kingdom, this new thing that Jesus is doing, this new kingdom that he's bringing, everybody can talk to God because of what he was about to do on the cross. In Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah writes the words of God. God is looking forward to that day, right, to this new kingdom, this new covenant, he calls it here, that he's going to establish. He goes, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, a new kingdom. There's this new work that I'm doing. And as part of this new kingdom, no longer will people teach their neighbors or say to one another, know the Lord. You don't need somebody to talk to God on your behalf. You don't need someone to be the mediator between you and God. He goes, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. That's the kingdom Jesus is bringing. That's what he's doing. That's the new work in this world that he's creating. He's planting that kingdom right in the middle of this messed up, broken, old one. 
The author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 8, he says Jesus brought that with that prophecy in Jeremiah. That's what we have now. Jesus was establishing we all get to talk to God. We don't need a priest or a Levite anymore, right? Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Look at what Jesus did. We all get to talk to God now, right? There's no mediator other than Jesus. Because of what Jesus did, we can approach him, Hebrew says, with confidence. We can go to him. We don't need a priest or a Levite. We don't need a mediator. We don't need a holy of holies. All of that's been wiped out because Jesus has brought his kingdom. And in this new kingdom, there is no hierarchy. There is no superiority. There is no religious privilege. There's no heavier or lighter. There's no sacrifice. One's already been made. All sins are evil. All sins are despicable. And Jesus paid for those sins. So all people are valuable. All life is valuable. From the least of these to the greatest. All of us are a part of that kingdom. All of us get to be a part of that kingdom. It's almost like Jesus is saying, hey, we're doing a new thing. We're doing a new thing here. I'm going to tell you a story about this new kingdom that we're doing. And in this new kingdom, every person matters. Everybody you ever come eyeball to eyeball with is someone who has been created in the image of God and someone that Jesus died for. And so they're in the kingdom, even if they're a Samaritan. God can use anybody. Jesus said that old kingdom, that old kingdom, you gotta, you got to avoid people, right? But in this kingdom, don't you dare, don't you dare ever step over anybody that I put in your path, especially in the name of religious obligation. See, the priest and the Levite, they were, they were on their way to church, man. They are going to the temple, and they literally step over an opportunity God puts in their path. And Jesus goes, in, in my kingdom, mm, the interruptions are the ministry. There's no such thing as interruptions. Those interruptions are not interrupt. They are opportunities. And that person is a person. And they have dignity. And you stop what you're doing. Because in my kingdom, from the least of these to the greatest, Everyone's important. There's no hierarchy anymore. Man, that's powerful. It says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, they all shivered when he said that word. The soundtrack once again changes a Samaritan. Ooh. I heard, yeah. Uh, let's try it again. I'll say it, and then you guys do it, okay? He goes, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where, you guys are really good at this, where the man was, when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This is a long way of saying this Samaritan is a kingdom citizen. He acts like a part of Jesus' new kingdom. The priest and the Levite are the ones you would expect to, but they don't. It's the Samaritan who acts like a kingdom citizen. How can I tell? Well, that's what Jesus is asking in verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, and this is so interesting. Jesus basically goes, hey, which one... Which one of these guys do you think is acting like a citizen of my kingdom? And the expert in the law can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. He goes, the one who had mercy on him. Like, I, it doesn't say this, but I picture him trying to say it. You know, like, which one is a part of my kingdom? And he's like, Samaritan. Ah, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus goes, I'm setting up something new here. I've dropped my kingdom right in the middle of this old, broken one. And you can participate in it. But it's here. It's come. 
and it's still coming still. I love what Eugene Peterson says in his message version of the Bible in John chapter 1. It says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus has moved into our neighborhood. His kingdom has moved into our neighborhood. He planted it here and he goes, go and live as if this is true. Don't just say it's true. Go and live as if this is true. The parables are not didactic little stories about how to be better at life. The parables are descriptions of the fact that God brought his kingdom here in the person of Jesus. And if you want to participate in what's already going on, this is how you live. It's a byproduct of the fact that the kingdom is here. You can choose whether or not to be a part of it. So, Jesus tells them to go and do likewise. How do we go and do likewise? I jotted this down. Kingdom citizens show love to everyone. If you're taking notes, number one, (laughs) kingdom citizens show love to everyone. Even dudes in a road, stripped and beaten, even Samaritans, or say it another way, even that family member that you're having the awkward conflict with right now. Sometimes it's easier if it was Samaritans, isn't it? Sometimes the closer, the harder it is. The person you're avoiding. The person that you have some awkwardness with, where you're like, you're tempted to steer in the opposite direction. You ever been there? You're tempted to like, oh boy, I'm going to go this way so I don't have to cross paths with them. That guy at work who makes your life miserable, right? That, uh, so often, I've found myself doing this, you guys, and I'm telling you it works When I find that impulse in me to go the other way, to avoid the awkwardness, what I'm learning to do now as a citizen of his kingdom is to go, okay, God, every time I feel that impulse to go the other way, can you make me kind of do the opposite and steer into the awkwardness? Because that's what kingdom citizens do. Kingdom citizens go, oh, this person doesn't like me. Oh, you just put a bullseye on your back. I'm coming for you with my love. Which is how I ended up dating Hannah, by the way. She was an introvert, super shy, and I was like, oh, I bet I can get her to be my friend. And now we're married, right? That's what kingdom citizens do. When somebody's avoiding you, when someone's upset with you, instead of going the other way, imagine there's a bullseye on them now. God, give me the eyes to put a bullseye on person because that's what kingdom citizens do. Kingdom citizens don't avoid people. Kingdom citizens go after people to love everyone. Point two, Kingdom citizens view obstacles in the path as opportunities. Interruptions are the ministry. There's no accidents. That thing that's in your way, that's trying to keep you from something, that's your ministry. That's your opportunity. I was praying over this once and driving home from somewhere where I shared about this, this miracle. And I'm like, God, give me the eyes to see opportunities. God, give me the eyes to see opportunities. And I stopped to gas up and a dude walked up and goes, hey, can you give me a ride? And I was like... Oh, boy. I think I got to give this dude a ride. <laughs> so I invited him into the car. It was like, you know, and I'm not, parents are bracing right now. I'm not recommending that you pick up hitchhikers. But in this case, I did, right? I shared my location with a couple friends. I was like, this is in case I go missing. And they were like, what's happening right now? I was like, I'll explain later. <laughs> And he gets in the car, and we start going a little ways, and he was like, I was thinking you could take me by my apartment so I could get my things and then drop me off at my friend's house. And I'm like, boy, if this doesn't sound like a setup, like, this sounds exactly like how you would expect this to go. And I was like, oh, man. But I went with it anyway. I'm like, okay, God, God, give me the eyes to see. It's When you start praying this way, it's crazy the opportunities God gives you. He got his stuff, and he got back in my car, and, uh, and he started telling me about his life. Started telling me about his daughter. He started telling me about his addiction. And then he gave me his number and said, can we stay connected? And a month later, he asked me if I had a Bible that he could have. I got to tell him about Jesus. It's amazing. Kingdom citizens view obstacles in the path as opportunities. Guys, this doesn't make me special. This makes me kind of dumb in a lot of ways, right? But if you pray for opportunities or 
the eyes to see opportunities. Kingdom citizens view obstacles in the path as opportunities. Point three, I wrote, kingdom citizens are not fooled by labels. <laughs> kingdom citizens are not fooled by labels. You guys, we can label just about anything nowadays, don't we? We slice and dice the human race into every label we can think of. And sometimes we learn to avoid certain labels or to think more highly or more lowly of people based on their labels. It can go either way. I know guys like me in ministry and people are like, you're a pastor? And it's like, you make all these assumptions. Like I just, I began to not share that with people because it's like, there's no difference, right? In the kingdom, there's no difference. Once I was driving from Darlington here to Myrtle Beach, I was actually driving from Charlotte here to Myrtle Beach. And there's this little town called Darlington that you go through. You guys familiar with Darlington? There's a big raceway there and NASCAR. And some of you guys went there this summer. Darlington's a misleading town because they got like checkered flags everywhere and all the race memorabilia and motif, right? And the speed limit is 35, which I'm like, that's on you, Darlington. When people fly down the road, that's on you. It's a, it's, they mess with you, right? And this particular day, they messed with me. <laughs> I was speaking at a thing in Charlotte, and then I had to be here at a funeral in Myrtle Beach to speak at it. And so I'm driving back and forth between the two in a borrowed vehicle that belonged to a friend of mine's husband, right? And he's an arms dealer. He deals in it. It's like legal, but it's ammunition or whatever. And so I'm driving to this funeral and I like, Phew. you know, you ever do this thing where you like, you see the cop that you've passed and you're like, I'm definitely getting pulled over. Like, I'm definitely like, I went ahead and put on my blinker and started getting, I was like, I'm done. You know, as I pull to the side of the road and sure enough, he pulls up behind me and, um, and it's dawning on me while I'm sitting there in the car that uh, my license is in the back in my luggage. I'm like, well, because, you know, he's going to get to the window and say license and registration. You can tell I've been through this before. And so, <laughs> and so I'm like, how am I going to get to it? It's way back there, you know. So I got my hands at 10 and 2, and um, I don't want to do anything that's going to make him jumpy because I've seen the news, you know. Like, I'm going to, and that's not, like, that's a plight on both sides. I get it. This isn't a political thing. It's hard for everybody. So I've got my hands at 10 and 2, and he, he, as he comes up to the vehicle, he's got the flashlight, and he's looking in and seeing all this luggage, and I'm like, oh, boy, I'm in big trouble. And he gets up to the window, and it rolls down, and i got my hands at 10 and 2, and he goes, license and registration. And I'm like, here's the thing. My license and registration is back there. And he's like, okay. And I was like, well, i got to get out of the car to get it. And I've seen the news, you know, like, and he goes, you can get out. And I was like, okay, but my seatbelt is fastened. So I'm going to be reaching for my waist in a second. And I've seen the news. And he's like, go ahead. So I was like, you know, and so then, you know, I get out. And as I'm walking to the back of the car, it dawns on me that this car belongs to an arms dealer, <laughs> I'm like, ah, there's no telling what might drop out. And I'm wondering whether or not to preface what's going to happen next with this valuable piece of information, right? So I get to the back of the car and I turn to him and I said, here's the thing. <laughs> I, I said, this car isn't mine. It belongs to someone who deals in ammunition. And he's like, that's fine. And I was like, okay, there's no telling what's going to drop out when I spring this, you know? Um, so same team. We both think I'm an idiot, you know? <laughs> And so I pop it, and it, you know, and I get my stuff, and I give it to him, and it's fine. He writes me a ticket, and on his way out, he's like, hey, what do you do for a living? <laughs> and I said, I'm a pastor. And he goes, you're a pastor? <laughs> so I said, you're a cop? <laughs> I didn't say it. I just thought it. <laughs> I had a funeral to get to, but it's, it's, he had this expectation of me, which I totally get, right? But we're just as flawed and just as messed up, and we can all attest to this. Like, we're just human beings that are in the same category. There is no hierarchy, and I think sometimes we look at people who do religious work for a living and think they're holier, or we look at people that do other work for a living and think they're not holier, and the truth of the Bible is that we're all unholy, we're all unworthy, and it's Christ's righteousness that does anything. There is no hierarchy. You should not look at other people going, well, they should be holy, and I shouldn't. No, we all should be following him. 
Kingdom citizens are not fooled by labels. And here's the last thing that I wrote. Point number four. Kingdom citizens view indifference as sin. The priest and the Levite are totally indifferent to the plight of the guy in the road. And I think they think that by ignoring him, they're somehow off the hook. But indifference is sinful. If God puts an opportunity in your path, kingdom citizens respond to that opportunity, don't they? Most of the implications of this story have to do with our eyes. Did you know that your heart has eyes? In Ephesians chapter 1, I love what the Apostle Paul writes. He's praying for us. And he goes, I keep on asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I keep praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I know this sounds crazy, but I think one of the worst things that can happen to a kingdom citizen is for the eyes of their heart to start going dimmer, to start getting blinded, to stop viewing interruptions as opportunities, to start looking at the hierarchy. So, this morning, if you're a priest or a Levite, They're not bad people. It's just that the eyes of their hearts have gotten dim. And as Paul proves right here, we can ask that that not happen to us. Guys, God, would you open the eyes of my heart? Would you open the eyes of my heart? Chances are in this room, there's several of you, that you know this is true of you. You've stopped viewing interruptions as opportunities. You, started, you stopped acting like a kingdom citizen. And I think this morning, like, that's the call. It's like, like, you know, let's, let's pray. God, give me my eyes back. Open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart. But I was praying this morning, and it occurred to me that there might also be in this room a lot of people who are laying in the road. And you came here expecting to find people who would see you. You're broken, you're bruised, you're bleeding, and you're laying there just hoping somebody will see you. And there's a room full of people who just confessed that they're a bunch of priests and Levites who need their eyes open. Thank you again for joining us online. We hope you enjoyed the message. To connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. For more information about who we are, check out seacoastvineyard.com. We would love to hear from you, so make sure you leave us a review or drop us a message. Until next time, have a great day.